Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of IGN Unfiltered, the monthly interview series where I get to sit down with the best, brightest, most fascinating minds in the video game industry. And I'm joined by Mitch Gittleman, a man you might, may not, maybe not a household name. If not I, until this. Not until this now. Is it. This is the moment where I break um, out. Xbox fans know, probably know this man if you go way back. Uh, and then uh, currently you are beloved for resurrecting awesome IPs that had been dormant for so long. That's Shadowrun yeah. uh, has returned under your watch, and now Battletech True. returning as well. Uh, we'll get to those. We'll get to the... We're going to take a walk back in time with me, Mitch. I'm afraid, but okay, let's do this. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. Uh, so I want to start. So you've, you've had a long career in That's games so happens. far. That's what happens, yeah. You grab great people and you bring them in and sit on the chair. Is that the deal? <laughs> yeah, Peter Molyneux was here. Yeah. All kinds he's of, great. Well, yeah. he used to be great. Now he's just bald. But yeah. Hey, Peter, what's up? Uh, what made you want to get into the industry? Wow. Uh, oh, I remember. <laughs> it was a long time ago. I wanted to get into the industry because I was a huge role-playing game nerd. Tabletop? Right? Tabletop. Oh, yeah. D&D. Yeah. Like, I found D&D in 1978, and it was the blue book, the basic set. Sure. And I was just taken with that. That was it. And I really thought, uh, even though I was in retail, and uh, eventually I moved into retail, I've had careers before this, um, I always wanted to write role-playing games. That was like the thing. Yeah. And then one day, one of my friends who was running a role-playing company, and I was writing for him freelance on the side, said, we should just do video games. They need people like us. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, they need people that don't know how to use a computer. Absolutely. And I jumped into video games. Is That's that guy's how. name Jordan Wiseman? It is not. <laughs> we'll it get to not. him, too. Oh, that guy. <laughs> but uh, So what were you doing before you... Just got into uh, games. So I was in retail management, but then I became a management trainer. And I would travel around the country doing classes in how to manage humans. Yeah. Was that, did you enjoy that? Or oh, was I loved it? it. Yeah? Oh, I absolutely loved it. I didn't like the travel. Yeah, I, didn't, I had a young daughter at the time, stuff, so mm -hmm. I didn't like being away from my wife and daughter at the time. But yeah, actually, I found that people management was actually my calling. Huh. Right. And I'm serious. Yeah. Like when uh, I don't remember how old I was, 28, I think I was. No, I was younger than that. I was 22. Oh wow! I was 22, and suddenly it occurred to me like people management was a like a noble thing, <laughs> for like treating people like human beings uh, was a big deal. And I started reading books about it and stuff, and I sort of self-trained on that, and it, it became like. No joke, like a calling. It was like, that's what I do with my life. And I just happen to make video games while managing people. So if that's your calling, yeah. why leave it? Uh, oh, uh, that, that company. I, I reached the top of where I wanted to be in that company. They wanted me to move to Dallas to be a, in the corporate office. And I'm not going to move to Dallas. It seems like a really nice place, but I was a Chicago boy. And yeah. it's like I thought I'd stay in Chicago my whole life. So uh, then, and tell, walk me through how you end up 
at Microsoft because that's oh, you know Lord. you're talking about sort of ascending to the top of the mountain. You know, Microsoft is one of the sort of one of the peaks in the mountain range in the, of the games industry yeah, yeah, as yeah. well. Um, dumb luck, really. I mean, I started I started freelancing for Sony, made a PlayStation One first wave title that only came out in Europe. Huh. And then what uh, was it? It was called Sentient. Hmm. And uh, that was a game with big aspirations because I had no idea how to make video games. So it was a kitchen sink game design. Right. Me and a partner. And uh, every single thing you could think of was a feature in the game, uh, at least on paper. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it got five stars from Edge Magazine. And then they ported it to a PC in America, and it got like two stars. It just, it just <laughs> didn't work out. Whatever. And then after that, I was making children's games. I made a Where's Waldo game. Oh, cool. Like that. It was cool. And Sillywood games. That, you know, I forgot about that. See, look at what you're bringing back. You know, yeah. you remember Sillywood? I don't, uh, actually. So this I, is, I remember, this, like, the putt-putt stuff that Ron Gilbert was doing. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I made that. But, um, no, I'm talking about uh, after the children's games, I was making um, live-action video games with live actors. Oh, I remember that yeah, era. That's what Sillywood, that's okay. what we called it, Sillywood. Not Hollywood, it's Sillywood. I see and, now. You know, I'm DVDs you. were invented. It's like, oh my God, yeah. you know, you can push all this stuff on. Seventh Guest and Sewer Shark That's and that exactly kind of right. Stuff. That's the stuff I'm talking about. And I made one called Eraser Turnabout. It was the game, it was the movie Eraser with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we didn't have the rights to his likeness or his voice and we couldn't so it's like make a video game based on this movie. A without, live action thing. Yeah, yeah. But without him and without alluding to him at all. Okay. You know, without even using his character name in it. And, yeah. You know, make one with a lot of live action and puzzles and stuff. Huh. But that was fun to make. So the, I, I'm seeing now, like, yeah, you're claiming to, you didn't know how to make games. But no. I guess if you're, if you're just writing, it's writing live action things. It's like a, it's like you well, sort of took a natural too. transition. I was designing the puzzles and the yeah. games and stuff like that, and all of these things, and just going on instinct. And you can do that. At the t you got to understand, I'm a product of a time, right? Once upon a time, anybody could make it. Well, I guess we're back to that now. In <laughs> yeah, a way, any development. With the egalitarian of the tools, sure. which is kind of cool. But at the time, you had to find somebody to sort of believe you could do it. And I was just a bullshit artist. Uh, the industry, well, eventually, yeah, <laughs> you start somewhere. But yeah, I've, I've faked it for years. Just, well, made it up. That's the best way to put it. I just ran on instinct and made it up. And, and found your way to Microsoft. Uh, yeah, so eventually, after the Sillywood era, uh, Jordan uh, Weissman, who's the creator of Battletech and Shadowrun and WizKids and Crimson Skies and... Jeez, uh, I don't know. I think he just sort of invented everything, you know. He's kind of like Willy Wonka. He's got a lot of cool IPs under his belt. Oh yeah, the guy, the guy's the most creative person I know. He really is. He's anyway. It was, so we had been flirting around working together for years. He had the BattleTech pods. Do you remember those things? It's a cockpit, and you actually got into it. His dream always from making BattleTech, he made the board game. But what he really wanted to do was to make these pods where you I get it. That's why I'm, I'm like, I'm sighing because I'm, it's like a, the term is coming back to me, but I'm not, I can't see it. Yeah, Battletech Centers, look it up, they're awesome. Okay. So 16 cockpits networked together, right, like in 1990, yeah. something like that, 
Uh, so it was like the first 3D multiplayer game. You know, it was like a LAN game. Hell yeah, no, that's it awesome. was a LAN game. And you get in the cockpit, and every single button worked. And there's two foot pedals, two joysticks, throttle. I mean, you know, it was awesome. Two view screens, and you could talk to each other on microphone. Anyway, that's cool. So, yeah. So we were going to work together on that, and then uh, he wanted to make a flight game for the cockpits, and he hired me. To produce and design Crimson Skies, what became the original Crimson for PC? Yeah, yeah. It was originally supposed to be location-based entertainment. It was supposed to be another use for these cockpits, but then, yeah. And what happened was we started designing it together and creating the world together, and then we shelved that temporarily, and uh, and then I went on to Mech Commander, and after shipping Mech Commander. Oh, and while I was shipping Mech Commander, he was making a board game version of Crimson Skies. Because once he's got a taste of something, yeah. he just has to make it. All down the rabbit yeah, hole? he has to. It's like, oh, it's not a video game? Fine, it's a board game. Fine, it's a comic book. Whatever. He's just <laughs> got to make it. Um, anyway, while he was doing that, I was finishing Mech Commander. And Super well-liked real-time strategy game. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, that was a neat. That was my first taste of like big game development. Because there was like you know, 20-something people on that. And before that... My teams were like eight, right. ten, which yeah. was normal back then. Yeah, but it was it was complex. It was the most complex game I had ever made, and I was just overwhelmed. I'd get into the office at seven thirty in the morning and leave like nine midnight just to keep my head above water. That's a lot. And also, I was reading a book on what how to use a computer at night too. But that's another <laughs> story completely, and a true one because I didn't know how to use a computer at the time. But anyway. So, and then Jordan, after we shipped Mech Commander, uh, he and his partner, Denny Thorley, sold uh, FASA Interactive right. to Microsoft. And FASA was the umbrella under which all these things you're talking right. about were happening right, with, right, with right. Jordan. Yeah, there was FASA Corporation that did the board games and the RPGs, and then there was FASA Interactive, and we did you know the Mech Warrior type stuff. Yeah. Uh, so you end up running FASA Studio. At, Eventually, at, yeah. at Microsoft, yeah, uh, and then we get to sort of where I think you, you, your uh, your name enters the modern gaming lexicon. Uh, not that it wasn't all, but really, like you know, you, you, yes, you reach along you, with foul language, a new level, yeah. yeah. So uh, because here comes oh here comes Shadowrun. Here it comes. This is a game that, uh, this is an IP that's beloved, another Jordan Wiseman IP. Oh, absolutely. Cyberpunk. Yeah, uh, Cyberpunk meets magic. It was, yeah. It was a real cool matchup. Which, yeah, and it's a great idea. Everybody loved it, and everybody was wanting a video game of it to, True. to come back. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> it does sound like a good idea. So, here, we, what happens is uh, a, sh- a first-person shooter, Shadowrun, gets announced. Yeah, that happened. So what I, w- I want to sort of walk me through this, because was, was it the original idea that it was going to be a first-person shooter if yeah. you're going to do a new Shadowrun? Yeah. We never had the idea of making it into an RPG. Okay. No, we never did. Was, uh, RPGs were not big at the time. That was not good business at the that's time. That's true. That was sort of the, right. during the valley of, right. of role-playing development. This is in like 2000, I want to say four. Yeah. That we started conceiving of the game. Right. But KOTOR hit. That was huge. Was that around that time? Yeah, it was... uh, I think KOTOR shipped in 03, if memory serves correctly. Yeah, it's probably my favorite RPG ever. But also, we were tasked with making an Xbox game. Yes. And this was really before Jade Empire, for example. It's like, oh, yeah, all right. 
you know, or yeah, I'm pretty sure that I'm yeah, right. Yeah, KOTOR first, then JDM. Yeah, right, yeah. And so the idea of an RPG on the Xbox, I don't know, I just wasn't feeling it at the time from a Even, business point of view. Well, yeah, because I guess you, Deus Ex was, hadn't come back yet. Human Revolution hadn't it was, shipped right, yet. It was while we were working on Shadowrun that Deus Ex hit. And it's just like, ah, that's a good thing. So did you guys, so this is sort of pre-social media, really. Or, Thank goodness, yeah. But, uh, there, nevertheless, there, there was a, let's call it a, a vocal response in the community when... Could be. When, when it was announced yeah. as a first-person shooter yeah. and not as a role-playing game. I will say just one thing, though. That if it wasn't for the Shadowrun first-person shooter, I don't believe the Shadowrun Returns would have happened and happened as yeah. passionately. Which we'll get it, to later. Yeah. yeah, it's just that's the interesting thing about it. It's just like it was a sort of a seminal moment for me as a right. game developer because that's where, unfortunately, I truly learned respect for your audience. You, ha- you have to have an audience disrespect you because you've disrespected them to really understand it, and that was perhaps the biggest learning of all. But right, which, anyway. yeah, we'll, we're, we're on our way. Walk oh, with yeah. me here, Mitch. Yeah. We'll just take a oh, walk Oh, no, my me. heart is beating like a mother. <laughs> it's like, holy crap, we're, we're down this rabbit hole. Let's go. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that uh, I would be triggering bad oh, memories here. Actually, yeah, it's true, though. You should know this. I, I forgot to mention this. This is the creation of Shadowrun, the first-person shooter, which people, some people call Shadowrun 2007 or 2K7, was the single hardest, worst experience and best experience of my life, one of the very best. Yeah. It was both, but it was... It was absolutely a terrible terrifying ride it was unbelievable so did clearly i'm guessing did well no, i don't want to guess i'm here to interview you oh, did right. anyone anticipate a negative response to 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 it being a first person shooter and i'm talking before it came oh, out we'll get to, to, to it just being a first yeah, person just like, shooter hey this this sort of cult classic tabletop ip that we love yeah. is not coming to video games as, a, as an RPG. Yes. I believe there were some of us that did, but that's not the mindset that we had at the time. The mindset that we had at the time was how do we make a hit? Yeah. That's really what we were after. We were trying to swing for the fences and really deliver on the promise of our studio to really make something big and epic and would make people really take notice and you know, would sell millions and millions of copies. In, it's funny to me that uh, in hindsight, that Shadowrun first-person shooter feels almost vastly ahead of its time. Yeah, in the sense that. that it was, it really had no single-player campaign. That's right. Which you was unheard of then, but now is somewhat well, accepted. Funny, yeah, the reviews came out. They're like, it has no single-player campaign. This is BS. And then later on, Team Fortress came out it's like yeah it's perfect it has no single player campaigns like, <laughs> you know and yeah. then uh you know sort of class-based multiplayer abilities yeah. all that stuff that's very normal now yeah even the cross play yep did, did you guys volunteer for that or did, did the microsoft overlords go no that uh, was we're, me. we got this initiative we need you to do it yeah what happened there honestly is that development was rocky. And, but that was internal. 
external, yeah. what my bosses were looking for was a, a big PC game. They wanted to show their commitment to PC. Right. But we had been developing it for Xbox, and all of our decision-making was Xbox-related, controller-related. Sure. And the controls were... They were just great at the time. Yeah, what a, great. It was a great design team. They were just, they were killer at their jobs, uh, you know, in terms of how to make, you know, something feel right. Um, and so my bosses, you know, met with me. And they're like, hey, we'd like you to make this in, uh, a PC game instead. And Oh, instead? Instead. Instead. So just forget, we won't even bother with this on right. Xbox. We want right. it as a PC game and to show that we're serious about PC yes. gaming. So that was their agenda. My agenda was, no, 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 I'm trying to make a hit game on Xbox. This yeah. is, the studio's geared up, and I have everybody, like, revving on, yeah, we're going to make a hit on Xbox. And it's like, we'd like you to make a PC game. But in retrospect, especially after having lunch with Phil Spencer, he told me, wait, how did this go? Because <laughs> at the time, he wasn't the one delivering the message. It was right. someone else. And... Um, what that was, happened? Well, those were, no, Ed Freeze was, that was... Uh, no, this is after Ed. This is Shane Kim. That's Shane Kim days, right. yes. Yeah. And so the way Shane said it was, you know, we, we want to show our commitment to PC and we want to put this out on PC. Phil's point of view on it was, we've got Halo on Xbox. We need something of that caliber and that level on PC, right? Which is a different story. Sure. That... Maybe I could have gotten my head around, but I didn't. And then Robbie Bach, who was the president of, yep, head uh, of the whole shebang. Yeah, entertainment and stuff, he wrote um, this really great memo around the same time talking about the future of connected entertainment. And it, there were no action items in it. There was no like call to action. He's just like, this is the future I see. And he was talking about what we're seeing now with mobile and Xbox yeah. PC or console and PC and all every the whole connected world he was right about right. this yeah he was totally right yeah he's a great guy yeah he and, was in here oh oh that's right was he great. was yeah I ran into him a while back at a kind it's like didn't you used to work for me I'm like yeah <laughs> and he's like oh that was you <laughs> anyway um, so he wrote this fantastic memo this visionary memo uh, that didn't get a lot of traction, I felt, at the time. But I was inspired by it. And I thought, hey, wait a minute. What if I gave you know, my bosses what they were looking for, a PC game, you know, but we cross-platforming to show what connectivity is and how Microsoft's leading the way. Right. And I wrote my own big memo, you know, and I wanted it to be DirectX 10 at the time, you know, exclusive and so you know, Business, 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 business. Yeah. Which has nothing to do with game development, by the way. It has something to do with making a great game. But that's how that came to pass, was uh, connecting the dots. And then I realized, oh, this is a way to really get the game elevated in Microsoft and get lots of marketing dollars behind it. It was all that kind of thing. Sure. But it had nothing to do with the fans. It had nothing to do with them or what they wanted or what they expected. It's the single biggest learning of my entire career. Yeah, I remember when it came out, uh, I worked for a publishing company on, a, on an Xbox magazine. We had a PC gaming magazine yeah. down the hall. And we did, for, for our, we did a challenge. Mm -hmm. can, can the uh, gamepad console guys right. hang in Shadowrun yeah. with the mouse and keyboard PC guys? The answer was not at all. <laughs> really? <laughs> not at all. You know, I've gotten that from a lot of people. But what, what we did was I had an internal test team of... It was large, and there were um, 
16 core testers on that game. Yeah. And eight of them were tournament Halo players, and eight of them were tournament uh, Half-Life players. Yeah. And so they would go head-to-head every day, and we felt it was fair and even. You know, so I don't, even after it came out, because I've heard that before, yeah. it's like, no, 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 the Xbox guys dominate. It's like, really? <laughs> because I saw it every single day. Sure. These guys, yeah, they were right. shouting at each other. It was great. That was one of the best parts about it, was just playing the game. Awesome. We played it like three times a day, you know, organized, and never got tired of it. Was, uh, was there a thought to, to trying to put a, a campaign into oh, that yeah. game? I cut the single player campaign. Yeah. Because reality, you know, you, you probably have a certain budget and a certain window, and you gotta you gotta make choices. Yeah, right? that was a, that was a big part of it. Um, we had been in development of a single player campaign for a while. We had some a, one big about hour long sort of vertical slice of the gameplay, and there was some cool stuff that never got into the uh, the multiplayer game, like the ability to raise the dead. <laughs> and so you'd kill the enemy, and then you'd raise the dead. And you had this army following behind you, awesome. fighting for you, and th- that was great. Uh, but it didn't quite work out for the multiplayer game. But yeah, we had a whole single-player campaign. So imagine standing in front of a room full, full of about 100 game developers saying, yeah, you know, I just cut the single-player campaign that you guys have been working on. Like I said, you know, a lot of learning on this one. Yeah. A lot of learning. Was, uh, do you regret that at all? Like, the, do you wish you'd somehow forged ahead and shipped that game with a campaign. You know, I have a lot of regrets in my career, but none of them have really anything to do with business decisions or game decisions. All of my regrets have to do with how I treated people at, the time, at any given time. It's like any management mistake that I made, people management yeah. mistake, that's what keeps me up at night or when, you know, or when I'm thinking about it and you get a little melancholy. It's about that. It's yeah. not about the games themselves. They are simply what they are. The, ga- the games are sort of like historical documents. You know what I mean? Sure. And they're just a product of a time and a place. So, no, not much. Yeah, you, uh, so you were not thrilled with the reviews that Shadowrun got. I was definitely crispy by the time they came <laughs> out. And, yeah, that was, that was rough. But I was, I was completely on tilt at that time. And so, yeah, I'd be interviewed... You know, oneup.com. Uh, I did a podcast there. It was an epic, like, two hour where I just was yelling at the interviewers <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't do well in that particular time. Um, do, you, do you sort of look back on that, that period with, with uh, remorse or just like, no, nah, you know, you just, or it just was what no, it was? No, 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 I, nah, I don't care about that. <laughs> that doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't managing them, so screw it. Right. Uh, and I don't care, I mean, I misbehaved, right? And so I had a reputation more as kind of an idiot for a while. Like, somebody who gets mad at the reviews of his game when the, when the game clearly deserves some of the, <laughs> the reviews, well, now you're just a petulant child. You know what I mean? So that, when I look back, that's the only sort of regret I have about that, but ah, fuck it. Uh, whoops, that's screw. Oh, do we bleep here? Just say it's, it's the show's literally called Unfiltered, so say whatever you want. Oh, oh, it's on yeah, then. It's fine. All right, great. Yeah. So <laughs> Don't worry anyway, about it. No, it nah, that does that is oddly enough that doesn't bother me. I was not embarrassed by my own behavior. I was just like, "Oh, you were just wrong." <laughs> you know. 
Do you, I mean, I was mentioning it a few minutes ago. Do you kind of, do you ever stop and think, man, if Shadowrun, the shooter came out now, it'd probably have done like way better? I never think that way. You don't care? I mean, no. not that you don't care. Sorry. It's, it's not that. It's just, that's just not the way I think. Yeah. I don't do what ifs or anything. I'm, I'm a really in the moment guy. I'm making this game, I have this milestone, and I have this feature I'm trying to shepherd or something like that. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't do that. Um, I, I, will, I do imagine you're happy that there was no social media to amplify the, yeah, the things great. you were saying. Yeah, who knows? Then. I might have been drummed out of the industry. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, that, that sort of, not to that extent, but you know, that's kind of what happened to Adam Orth. Also, you know, fellow Microsoft guy. He was, he was in here yeah. a couple of years ago before... Yeah. Before his uh, his most recent game came out, but yeah. you know he yeah he got kind of the pitchfork and torch mob coming after him. That's rough. Yeah. That is a that's a rough feeling, you know, to know people are angry with you out there. You don't even know them, right? And they're angry with you. That's a that's an interesting feeling. But it was f- that was far less important to me than the feeling like I was letting down my team. That's it. That's everything to me. The team is everything, and so. Yeah, the team went through hell through that. And I lost people and rebuild the team. We actually did, during the middle of that game, we stopped production in the middle of that game. I hired in a new uh, production team, kept the, the producer that was on it, and added around him. And we did a post-mortem in the middle of production. Oh, wow. And uh, the woman running it was really smart and really brave. And she sat me down in front of the whole studio after she had done like five postmortems with different parts of the team. And she said, all right, here's what I've found out. And she said, and in front, in of, front of everyone. Team, yeah. And she just starts reading down the findings that are all like, you've mismanaged this, you've mismanaged this. And it's just a list. It's like, take your medicine. I'm like, okay. I took my medicine. Then we methodically attempted to fix every single thing on that sheet. Did you volunteer for that sort of the the public not public but you know no. th- for that to be in front of everyone or no that, she so, just she just did that it. just did it okay she just did it like it just she felt that you needed that in, that's right in front of everyone yeah yeah and uh, I think she did me one of the greatest services her name's Dana Hanna by the way she did me one of the greatest services of my career by doing that interesting yeah what did you learn from that uh, uh, high degree of accountability. Um, uh, to be more honest and direct with my communication. For a while, I was messaging to people instead of just talking to people. Yeah. You know, and I had never done that before. And I don't blame Microsoft for this in any way, but I was assimilating culture that I shouldn't have. You know, I was attempting to shield the team from the greater Microsoft culture. Right. right? It's a studio. You know, and they have to, there has to be an umbrella, what they used to call a shit shield. Um, but that didn't mean I wasn't taking on some characteristics by osmosis. Yeah. Um, and I don't blame anybody for that. It's just sort of what happened. And I became the wrong guy for a while. Hmm. All right, I'm going to, you've endured your personal hell long enough. Let's, hey, cool. <laughs> let's walk out of, uh, I'm jumping around a bit. I actually want to go back to, uh, a, a pretty universally beloved project, Mech Assault. Oh, uh, hooray. Which, which was, Yay. you know, you were the executive producer on that game. No, I was the producer Sorry, pro- on that game. Okay. I, was the, I was an EP on Mech Assault 2. Okay. So I was the publishing producer on that. The, the real talent, the real producer on that was uh, um, uh, TJ Wagner, who uh, was in our studio and flew out to day one in Chicago 
and uh, help them ship the game. Yeah. So yeah. But Mech Assault was uh, one of the. It was sort of the the original killer app for Xbox Live. You know, Microsoft's got this online service that they stuck an Ethernet port into every single console that they like, promised the would that? work one day. Yeah. Or they promised would do online things one day. Yeah, I had no uh, idea if that was going to work or not. <laughs> I really didn't. And but, then here it comes, yeah. and, it's, uh, and it was fantastic. It was, it was really fun, and it was really fun to work on it. I mean, it was super intense because the Xbox, Xbox Live was launching, and we need a launch title, right? and it's you. And Ed Freeze said to me, Mitch, you have carte blanche. Oh, like, yes. So oh, you just, you oh, just... it's on. That was the, oh, it was awesome. To be given carte blanche by Ed Free is just like, get out of my way. I'm shipping this game. That I live for. That was, that was really fun. And I love the game. And the idea of the first time we ever went home and put on our headsets. Yep. Right? I think the first thing ever said, certainly maybe not on Xbox Live itself, because there were demo things, but the yeah. first thing ever said during a test of a real game on Xbox, I said, I'm not wearing pants. And the <laughs> test team went, that's awesome, thanks. But that was the power at the time. It's like, oh my God, I'm playing a console game at home. It was cool. Yeah, I mean, and, really and, cool. the, and the game itself was, you know, it, it did have a single player campaign as yes, well, which was great. Yes, it did. And it's, you know, I don't know whose idea was it to take Mech Warrior and sort of or just kind of actionify it on a gamepad, but it totally worked. Yeah, the president of Day One Studios, Denny Thorley, it was his idea. And his idea, uh, the camera was actually top-down, uh, more top-down. Yeah. And then it was actually Ed Freeze who said, no, drop Bring the camera down. behind the shoulder, kind of in that sort of you know, Gears of War sort of thing. Right. It's like, drop the camera. And that, that actually changed the game. Ed actually had a major influence on hmm. the gameplay of that game. It became much more arcadey. That's cool. Yeah, it is. Um, and then, is that one where you know? Do you, do you are you are you surprised at all by the uh, success of that, or, or did you sort of know like we've got we've really got something? Oh, here? Oh no no no! I did not know at all. No, I knew it would be fun. You know, I knew it would be fun, and you know, especially the multiplayer was just it was really goofy. Yeah, fun. it was fun. I really enjoyed it. it wasn't BattleTech. It's just like Shadowrun. No, it was much Shadowrun. faster, yeah. Yeah, you know, and it really wasn't steeped in the lore or anything like right. that. But, uh, but it was fun. And no, I had no idea, because I didn't know if Xbox Live would take off at all. True. You know, and I knew it was fun, but I didn't think it would actually be a hit or anything like that. And that's great, you know. I'm really happy about that. But no, at the time, it was just like, I have to ship this game, because Ed told me to. <laughs> As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. 
Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> so there, it wasn't a situation then where one of those things where you have... Mecha Salt 2 in pre-production before the first one even quite finishes up? No, no. We went right into that to shipping DLC. Like, yeah, which was also a new, you know, new endeavor. Yeah. It's like, wait. And that was, that was huge for me, just as like a, whoa, you can do this. Yeah. You know, I grew up in an era where if you patched your game, you were a failure, right, on PC. Right. If you patch it, that means you screwed it up and you had to patch. And now the idea of, oh, this thing kind of is alive, and it's still connected, and you can get more stuff for it. Yeah. I thought that was cool. It was really inspiring. And remind me, uh, my memory's failing me on what that DLC was. Was it, was it a mech and some multiplayer maps? or what? Yeah, I think the first DLC were some multiplayer maps. Oh, okay. maybe new game modes, ah, too. okay. Uh, and then, uh, but a new mech. You know, mechs... Uh, because of the complexity of them, you know, uh, the pieces and the animation and stuff, we had to sell that DLC. But that was also Ed calling me on the phone saying, Mitch, I want paid DLC. I'm like, excuse me, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, like five bucks. Just five bucks yeah. for, like, a new mech. Right. All right. You know, so, yeah, that, that, I didn't conceive of that. I just did what I was told just, with that one. Just executed the plan. Yeah. Exactly. So then, all right, so then Mech Assault 2 does come around. Uh, I didn't like it as well. It, and did it, so that's just me. I'm kind of curious, did, what, why didn't Mech Assault continue? Did the second one just not sell great? Yeah, or? exactly that. It didn't turn into the franchise that Microsoft was looking for, that's all. They had, um, at the time, there was sort of a, just a sales bar. You don't hit that sales bar, and it's like, okay, that's, that was that. Yeah. And I disagreed with that mentality, and I still do to this day. And I told them that at the time, uh, you know, in very respectful conversations. Like Crimson Skies, for example. 
deserved a sequel. The original, or are you talking about High Road to Revenge? High Road to Revenge, right. High Road to Revenge deserved a sequel. That team deserved a sequel, you know. Um, But at the time, Microsoft decided, and Shane Kim specifically decided, that each studio would focus on just one game. And we were doing Shadowrun and Crimson Skies simultaneously. uh, And still working on Mecha Salt and stuff. It just collapsed it all down. And so High Road to Revenge didn't get the the sequel it I mean, deserved. Are you, when you've got uh, both those, are you just riding high because you've got these two hit games? No. No? No, it, it's never like that. It's always what's the next milestone. Yeah. It's always like that for me personally. No, there's no riding high. Um, there's the joy of shipping. And there's the joy of being at your, with your team smoking cigars when you ship. Yeah. And then it's right back to work. Hmm. And that's just that. That's my entire life. Does it, make, that. does it make you feel, I mean, you're, you're telling me you're a live-in-the-moment guy, but you know, does it feel good to you uh, when you hear just sort of constant, there's always this sort of constant little uh, voice in the community of people wanting to see Crimson Skies come back. Uh, that's great, but I... But that's not a personal thing. I, I feel good about that on behalf of the team yeah. that did all the hard work. You know, I really, you know, although being, I wrote the original design doc for the original PC game, uh, but somebody else actually made that game. You know, uh, I was on to Mech, Assault, uh, Mech Commander 2 at mm-hmm. that time. And so uh, Jordan and a guy named John Howard made uh, the PC game. Uh, and then... The Xbox High Road to Revenge, you know, I was a, an EP on that and I was managing the design team, but not actually a designer on it and stuff like that. So I feel less uh, ownership. You know, that team did a great job and I helped them. Yeah. You know, I was carrying ammo for them to fire. Right. You know, uh, so when I see, like, it just came back. Uh, yeah, as, you can yeah. go home and play it on your yeah. Xbox One now. Yeah, that's badass. It that's really cool. cool. Um, but I don't feel a personal sense of satisfaction. I feel pride for the team that they got that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, were, and then during your time at Microsoft, you were also involved in a game. This one, I, because, you know, I, I, I know you from your Microsoft right, right. era primarily, and I've, you know, we've, I've bumped into you here, here yeah. and there since, but uh, I did not know you were involved in the South Park Let's Go Tower Defense game. Yeah, I actually conceived of that one. Really? Yeah, Tell me about Trey. that. Yeah, really? Actually, yeah. What happened was um, I found out that Trey wanted to make a game. Yeah. And yeah, they'd kind of been laying low ever since the, it sort of had some misfires on the video game side, right. like in the N64 era. Yeah. yeah, and so I found out that, and you know, we had some ideas for games, and Trey kept turning them down. So I said to the person who had the relationship with him, get me on the phone with him. Yeah. And so I got on the phone with him. He was really cool. I just said, what game do you want us to make out of South Park? And he said, I want sort of a strategy game, but kind of, you know, fun sort of action strategy game. Right. And that's all the guidance I got out of him. Hmm. I'm like, okay. Hey, and then right there on the phone, I said, what if it was a snowball fight? And... The kids are in a snowball fight, and they're setting up their snow forts and stuff like that, and it just gets out of control. He's like, yeah, let's make that. And that was it. That's how we made that game. <laughs> That's right? awesome. Yeah, I just spitballed something at him. Because that was, that was sort of, uh, 
the beginning of what we're actually very much still enjoying a, a, an era of good South Park yeah, video yeah, games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely a <laughs> stick of truth and stuff like that. Yeah, and I dig that. Yeah, that, what, what, that's what happens when you get a really great RPG company to make an RPG. What do you know? Yeah. They can do that. <laughs> that's you know? what happens. Yeah. Is game development just, most gamers just, and not through any fault of our, our slash their own, yeah. we just don't, we don't understand how difficult a, a line of work it is. No, I hear that all the time on Twitter, too. You know, people like, you know, uh, there are two sides of it. Why don't you just do this? Why don't you add this button to the game that does this thing? It's like, okay, that's a $50,000 decision, you know, or whatever it is. Uh, and then the other side is like, they don't understand us. And yeah, they, yeah, so what? You know, I'm serious, so what? So people don't understand how hard game development is. And you probably sound like a complete whiner when you talk about it. And that's why I don't. What's the point? Yeah, you know nobody cares how hard it is. They just care if the game's yeah, good. Yeah, they just or not. pay their sixty bucks and want their cool thing. Yeah, and the other thing, it's, in my experience, it's just as hard to make a bad game as it is to make a good game. You know, the process of making a bad game or a good game is kind of the same, and it's just as hard. Uh, let's let's talk about something that I hope will be a little happier. Uh, I am uh, seriously though. The passion <laughs> thing is that's what keeps me going. That's no, the, that's the happiness. And, I, and so it's, it's cool. very genuine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but my palms can stop sweating now, you know, for a little while. Anyway. Uh, well, hopefully your palms don't continue sweating at the at the mention of the name Jordan Wiseman. No, that one's easy. Uh, yeah, you, you've you've kind of been comrades in arms for a while now. Yeah, it's been on and off, and right now very on. Seven years. Yeah. Um, before that, you know, there was Microsoft. We were there a dozen years. Although he was only there about, I think, four years out of the 12 that I was there. And before that, it Fast Interactive. But we actually met. He doesn't even remember this, but I do. And he wasn't anybody at the time. Yeah, I wanted to, I was like, literally going to ask you how you met. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, you're a good interview. <laughs> so uh, I was at Gen Con, a uh, game convention for tabletop gaming um, that I'd been going to since I was 14. When I was 15, Jordan was running a game at Gen Con. He was 21 and I was 15. And he was running the last Starfighter board game. And I got into it. And it was awesome. Because even then, and this is long, this is before Shadowrun and it was before Battletech. Yeah. But he had it going on. You could tell. And here's this 21-year-old kid and he had the last Starfighter game. He had this huge table with a black mat that he had handmade nice. on top of it, a star field, and it had a grid that he had hand put on it. And he, he had gone to a garden store and gotten like cool porous rocks. And uh, there, there were rules. So we were fighting through an asteroid field, yeah. which is awesome. And the rocks were huge. And he built a scale, everything was this big, <laughs> right? So my starship's this big and stuff. And uh, the rocks, every turn, would tumble. Oh, in that's an interesting neat. direction, and so and it was just this brilliant game, and so I remembered him, but he had I was just some kid in his game. <laughs> that's yeah, cool. that's how we met. Um, and then you know through Microsoft, and then you come 2011 Harebrain Schemes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you two found it together. So yeah. So uh, how is you've you've just got done telling me a bunch of war stories about big corporate life at Microsoft? Oh, there's war stories for little corporate life too. <laughs> oh, how, so how is how is uh, independent life compared to uh, big corporate life? Um, probably the quote, you know, I would, you know, what is that, you know, serve on your knees or 
live on your feet or whatever. I don't know how that works, but whatever that is, it's that. <laughs> you know. So I don't have a lot of those in my back pocket. I have my own things I like to say. But the, yeah, um, I like calling my own shots. And by my own, I mean with a team of right, leadership. Just you team. and your team and nobody. Yeah, yeah I dig that No a lot. omniscient voice yeah, up top. That's fun, but it's not exactly that. Because I wouldn't mind like working at a, a, having a boss again. That doesn't bother me. I don't mind having a boss. What I mind is when it's not about the game and it's, you know, it's about uh, initiatives. You know, like here's a strategic initiative, which means we're about to fail. That's what that <laughs> word means, right? That term means. Uh, strategic initiative means, uh-oh, everybody's about to get screwed and it's not about gameplay. And so all I want is to really create minute-by-minute -minute gameplay experiences and working at a big company, it's all about other things that aren't that. So that's what I like about the small company and being, quote-unquote, my own boss. And then also, you know, nurturing the talent I want to nurture as opposed to somebody says, here, take this guy. Yeah. So you guys made uh, the aptly titled Shadowrun Returns. We did. We made games before that, but yeah. Yeah. Actually, our first game was a bet between Jordan and the then CEO of Bungie that uh, he couldn't make uh, Who, Pete? No, before Pete. Oh, uh, who's that? Is that Harold at that Harold. point? Yeah. Harold, right. Yeah, uh, Harold and Jordan made a bet that Jordan couldn't make uh, a good game in 10 weeks on mobile. And so Jordan made the bet. And he had, um, he had a three-slide PowerPoint. Like, this is what the game is. And it was basically three images that he could talk to. That was basically it. There may yeah. have been a line of text on each one. And that was a game called Crimson Steam Pirates. And Harold's like, all right, I'll take your bet, and I'll put up this much money. And Jordan <laughs> said, okay, I'll put up this much. And then I was consulting with Bungie at the time on Destiny before it was announced. Interesting. And Pete was the one, because Pete uh, is an old friend of Jordan's. And Pete said, hey, why don't you go produce this with Jordan? Because we, they were trying to get into mobile. And I was working on strategy for that. He says, go yeah, the ship this. Bungie game. Aerospace. Right, right, right. Exactly. And so Crimson Steam Pirates was the first Bungie Aerospace game. And so he says, Jordan needs a producer. Ten weeks, go make a game. Like, okay. And so Pete is the one who put the two of us together. But I was actually being paid by Bungie, you know, and Jordan was doing this bet. And that's how we became actual partners because <laughs> I didn't report to him. And it turns out that worked great. We just had a great you know, sort of yin and yang, yeah. nearly adversarial relationship where he would come in every day and I'd say, I cut two features, it's good because I just created two more. <laughs> and that was our relationship for, actually it turned out 12 weeks. So what, uh, you were consulting, you just said you were consulting on Destiny in the early days. Yeah. Uh, what, so what, what were, would they sort of bounce ideas off you? What, can no, you, no, no, what's it wasn't that like? about that. It was about uh, more of a business strategy about, okay. you know, um, um, multiple screens and stuff like that and if there were companion apps or yeah and we were just exploring stuff you know together that's all yeah yeah no uh, i had nothing to do with with destiny at all so shadow on returns is you, you've uh you're you're an in the moment guy you've just told me true story but uh you so is there no sort of is there no sort of uh do you, do, you, do you look at the, at the Shadowrun scar from 2007 before you sit down to make Shadowrun Returns with the team? Oh, hell yeah. 
Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was actually in our, our Kickstarter video was, you know, we were trying to figure out, because we did this Kickstarter video, and the big question that we had internally, and at the time there were only about 12 people in the studio, maybe less, and, like, what do we do about Mitch? Because we're going to make this game, but what if people find out Mitch is making it? Right. They're going to hate it, right? What do we do? And you know, one of our engineers said, you know, we should do We should just throw fruit at him in the video. And so that's why I held up a sign that said, sorry, and everybody just threw stuff at me. Yeah. <laughs> that is the way to go. You just embrace it and just... Get in and front then, of it. Yeah. yeah. That's and the way I was go. sincere about the sorry, yeah. but actually members of the Shadowrun... 2K7 team were pissed at me for apologizing for their work, right? You could see sword. that, yeah. yeah. Of course you could see that. They sweat, of course. you know, blood, sweat, and tears and all that stuff that went in. You, you know, you've got a sense of what it was like. But I wasn't sorry about the game we made. I was sorry that we didn't create a real Shadowrun experience. Uh, you know, that, that I was sorry for. And that's that's well, the thing. You, did, you're you did make that's a real Shadowrun experience, just not a role-playing game, right? Not the no, thing that I disagree people... with that either. No, okay, it well, it's your, it, it's your game. It was, yeah, I want to make sure because otherwise, Shadowrun. I knew that quote was going to just be taken somewhere. No, so that do was it. not a real Shadowrun experience at all. That, Why not? Because it was frosting. There was no cake. Uh, Shadowrun is one of the best game settings, you know, that I know of. It's just so ripe for brilliant stories, social commentary, all sorts of yeah. things. And here we had elves and dwarves and trolls and guns and right. cyber and stuff. It was, it was bullshit. Would the campaign have, have uh, been a little cake instead of just some frosting? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the campaign, I, I don't think I've ever told anybody. Yeah, I want to hear about this. The story this. of the campaign did not take place, and this was kind of wrong, too. This, I was completely messed up with this, with all of my decision-making on this. But the idea was that the game took place uh, at the time of the awakening. The idea that when magic returned to the world, people started turning into trolls and orcs and stuff like right. that and getting magical powers. And that's where we set the single-player story, is right there. So I wanted to call it like Shadowrun Awakening or something like hmm. that. And to set up a series of titles to get us to what Shadowrun ultimately became. Yeah. Because I thought it was wrong at the time to throw people into a, such a complex setting. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, there's cyber. There's a lot to take in. Yeah. There is, but that's, that was a huge learning also. It's like I underestimated the audience, and that's stupid. You know, they're way smarter than that. You can throw a lot <laughs> of stuff at the audience, you know. So, yeah, so many learnings on so many levels. Shadowrun Returns was, was excellent. People oh, loved man, it. Oh, man, thank you. Yeah. That was really hard work. I loved it. That's, that's one of the best... Uh, experiences in my whole career. That was the most exciting thing. Cause and what, what made it the best? Well, first of all, Kickstarter was the hell is Kickstarter. I remember we were making a mobile game, and our lead engineer at the time was showing me Kickstarter because he was backing stuff. And then he, he looked at me, he's like, no, no, no. I'm like, we're going to kickstart a game. He's like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And I don't remember why, but he was dead wrong, which is awesome. And... Um, and then I pitched it to Jordan. It was like, oh, I don't think so. Because it would be making a game in a fishbowl. I had an idea of doing yeah. a documentary alongside it. And so we Have you spoken to Tim Schaefer down the street? No. Since? No. What happened was, no. And then Tim did it. Yeah. 
right? And it was awesome. And it was not only the game, awesome. but the documentary as a as a gamer. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, for me, backing that was was. Regardless, the game happened to be fantastic, yeah, but right. that was worth the price of the admission Absolutely. just for the documentary. It's the honesty. It is. Right? That's, that's the thing, right? It's always being genuine. That's, that's the biggest lesson of all, is being genuine. Anyway, I pitched that whole thing to Jordan. He's like, yeah, that, that sounds like hell. You know? I'm like, mm, you sure? He's like, yeah. And then Tim did it. He's like, okay, maybe we should do that. <laughs> and so we were only like maybe the third or fourth fourth video game Kickstarter at the yeah, time. Yeah, right when it was blowing up. Yeah, yeah. Brian Fargo was doing, you know, his In Exile stuff. Yep. Uh, he had launched, what, two weeks before we did? Something like that? I don't remember. That was uh, Wasteland, right? Yeah, Wasteland too. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and he was just making a path. He was just laying down blades of grass in front, you know, because we had no idea how to sure. do this. When we did the Shadowrun uh, Returns Kickstarter, the day the Kickstarter launched, one of my friends said, so you, you ready with your stretch goals? I said, what are stretch goals? <laughs> and then it funded in 28 hours, and we're like, uh-oh. And then we were just making it up from there. And it was just this improvisational ride. Yeah. That was it. And that never ended until the game shipped. You know? And we shipped a year later, like almost to the day, I think. And we were the first million dollar plus Kickstarter to actually ship. So that was part of the excitement. It's like, we're shipping. We actually are going to prove that you can do this yeah. and stuff. So that was, that was cool. Uh, and, it was just an exciting time. And, uh, and got to be happy that people, people are happy with the game and it oh, turned yeah. out very well. Oh, yeah. You know, like I was saying at the time, you know, I had read in my ledger, so to speak. And to be able to erase some of that with Shadowrun Returns and prove, no, I know how to make a Shadowrun game. It just... Yeah. I didn't. No, yeah, I can't. <laughs> and you've since made another one. Uh, two. Two yeah. more. Yeah, Shadowrun <laughs> Dragonfall. One, right? uh, no, uh, PC Wait. and mobile. Uh, oh, right. So Shadowrun Returns was on uh, PC and mobile. Shadowrun Dragonfall, which uh, I love. That was some of the very best work that I had personally ever done as a writer. You know, we brought in a, a guy named uh, Andrew McIntosh, who completely brought our writing game up to the next level. And then I was following his lead, which was awesome. Uh, and yeah, that was just a magical experience too. And then we did Shadowrun uh, Hong Kong, too. Yeah, yeah. And all three were really well received by the fans. And that that was cool. More of those coming? Going to keep the Shadowrun train rolling? You never know. You never know. <laughs> right now, uh, we're living in the moment. We're shipping BattleTech yes. someday. You know? uh, I did want to mention Necropolis real quick though, because that's yeah. actually the. That's what I saw. I saw you for the first time in right. years because of Necropolis. That's right. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I, I had no idea you were involved with it, and uh, yeah. we were able to catch up for a few minutes. But, yeah. you know, that game, uh, it seemed really fun. From I sat down with it for like uh, an hour or two yeah. last year. I, I very much enjoyed it. I, the, yeah. the, it was sort of the Dark Souls-y type concept. Right. But with Dark definitely lightish. Yeah, with its own spin on it. And, yeah. Uh, I, 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 respectfully, as I'm re- researching the interview, it ended up, it didn't review super well. It, uh, um, actually, one of the reviews said Necropolis couldn't entertain the dead was one of the reviews. Uh, but that writer thought they were clever. Maybe I've decided <laughs> to stop judging reviewers now. I learned that <laughs> but, lesson. I don't know, I'm, I'm one of them. So. Yeah. Uh, but did, are there... When I looked at it, I was like, oh, it came out in October. Is that... Do you regret... Like, it's, it, it's tough to get anybody to look at a new IP that time of year. Well, we actually ship PC first and then ship the... Uh, the console versions in October, but 
you know, that wasn't a strategic decision to ship it then. It was like, that's when the game's done. Right. You know, when, you're, when you have a straw, uh, small studio, you know, it's like, how much money do I have? How much can I afford? All right, this game is coming out now because I can't afford to put more time and money into it. We've yeah. got to, that's just that. Yeah, and you yeah. can't sit on it because you need the revenue. Oh, yeah. I presume. And, yeah, and while you're sitting on it, you have to pay all these people. You know, so no, it doesn't work out that way. Yeah. We had to ship the game, and we shipped it uh, much earlier than we should have, or much earlier than we wanted to. Right. You know. Yeah. That brings us to BattleTech. Does it? I, yeah, it does. Well, it brings this interview to BattleTech. No, that's right. It does. <laughs> yeah, but also chronologically, it leads us to BattleTech, and yeah, another Kickstarter too. We can yeah. start a BattleTech. Uh, so, sort of. A, I mean, is it fair to call it a spiritual successor to Mech Commander? Is that a fair uh, in assessment? In some ways, yeah. Just, I mean, in the sense that they're both battle tech-based real-time strategy games. Well, no, because uh, no, because yeah, yeah that's it, exactly. Mech Commander was uh, real-time, but uh, our battle tech game is turn-based. Right, turn-based. And so, in some ways, it's a spiritual successor. But there are two major things that are very, very different about it. This game is even more steeped in the the game setting. And to really give players a sense of what Battletech, the game setting, really is. If you only know it from Mech Warrior, and then which Mech Warrior you know it from, for mm-hmm. example, it really colors your perception of, of the Battletech universe. And so here we actually are able to tell the story of how Battletech came to be. You know, it's a 35-year-old game setting with like 200 yeah, novels. Yeah, going back to that. I mean, I remember uh, growing up uh, in the sort of the Mech Warrior 2 era, yeah, which that's is right. the mid mid 90s, I guess right. something like that. Or you know, the, my, my buddy Robert had uh, had the 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 tabletop book with like had all the the like schematic drawings yeah, of each of the those. each of the mechs and their stats and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, we actually had the guy who did those schematics work on BattleTech. That's cool. Yeah, to to design new vehicles for us and stuff. So, uh, what's Excluding the current Battletech game, over the years, what, what's your favorite video game incarnation of, uh, of, of Battletech or MechWarrior? Of MechWarrior? My favorite, probably MechWarrior Mercenaries. And that's one of the reasons why our Battletech game is also a mercenary game. There's just yeah. something, there's a sense of agency to being a mercenary. So you get to interact with all these noble houses without choosing one, without yeah. being a member of one. You know, and you get to, you know, be a loner, so to speak, and travel around and do what you want to do. But you get to see the Battletech universe and interact with it without having to choose, you know, House Liao, House Karita, or whatever it is. Right. You know? So that's a big thing. Oh, I'm sorry. The other thing I was going to say earlier, besides the lore of Battletech and being able to do that, the other thing that this game does, because it's turn-based, we can expose more interesting Battletech mechanics that are inspired by the board game. So we really wanted the game to feel like we felt when we were playing the board game 30-something years yeah. ago. You know? And the mechanics aren't true to the board game. They can't really be in a video game. But we really wanted to feel like it felt. And so I think we're successful with that. So heat management and stuff like that. You don't want your mech to fall down. Yeah. You know, lots of stuff like that. It's... I- I wonder if Jordan had ever conceived of how well Mech, Mech Warrior and Battletech would translate to the video. Like it's it's such a yeah, it makes for such good did. video games. Yeah, of course he did. That's who he is. He's a visionary. <laughs> no, he really is. He's, yeah, he's he's Willy Wonka to me, right? 
And he's going to go into his garage and tinker around and come out and go, hey, what about this? And you go, oh, my God, yeah, let's do that. So, I mean, even when he was making the board game, he was conceiving of those Battletech cockpits where people could play, you know, yeah. play against each other. That was, that was the vision that he had always been working towards, and he got to create that. And there were like 30 of those Battletech centers around the world and stuff. So uh, with the new Battletech game, yeah. it's a PC... Yeah. For is, is it under that, those sort of same licensing restrictions that you were mentioning earlier? Yeah. So it, yeah. it, it won't. It, we it, it cannot come to console in, for the time being. It cannot for the time being. Is that is that frustrating at all for you? No, because you could reach a larger audience. You don't care. No, no. Uh, this is this is the hand you're dealt. Let's just play the cards as best we possibly can. Yeah. Nah, I don't think about that kind of stuff much. I wonder why. I'm not a very thoughtful game developer. I guess I just I just want to make the damn game. Well, I guess it, it's. It's probably, I'm sure if there's uh, pluses and minuses to kind of having that, just putting the blinders on and not worrying about all that other stuff yeah. that you can't control necessarily. That, well, that's the thing, right? You accept the things you can't, can't control, control the things you can, and know the damn difference. Yeah. That's it. And that's why, you know, I'm not in the hospital today. <laughs> Whoops. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, well, during the Cropless, <laughs> I actually was in the hospital for a couple of days. That's not good. That's what the team said. And my wife. Well, I hope you're okay now. You seem you seem good. Uh, happy to be alive. Good. Um, so, you've you've worked in the industry a long, long time. You've you've taken right, me on that, quite that a journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. it's a no, compliment. It's a, journey. it's a compliment. Okay. Relax, Mitch. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. No, it's like yeah, you survived <laughs> this long. Congratulations. Uh, so, I, I you know you have a, an interesting perspective, having worked you know kind of. Uh, through, all the way up through you know long time at Microsoft and now you know on your own yeah. uh, with with uh, with the team at Harebrain. So what we're, this is like you know the dumb college kind of entrance question. But what, from your perspective, where do you see the game industry in in the next five years? Because we've seen a lot of change in the last five. We sure have, and it's certainly it's a hell of a lot different than you know when when you. Started and certainly when during your time at oh Microsoft, it changed a yeah, lot. Yeah, the evolution's insane. I can't believe I've gone through all of this. Yeah, I didn't know the world would go through all of this. So yeah, it's like I never, I don't put things in boxes anymore. What the hell? You know, where's my cover art? Um, yeah. So that's weird. Um, where do I see it going? You know, for me, it has nothing to do with hardware. I don't give a flying anything about VR. Um, AR is really interesting. AR is really interesting. Uh, Jordan loves AR. He's done it before. Intre- I, I do find it interesting that you're, you don't care about VR when certainly Battletech and MechWarrior would seem to lend, them, lend yeah, themselves incredibly I well. I don't want to put on the Flash in the pan? You don't think it's, it's going anywhere? I'm not going to make a prediction. I predicted this. I predicted the launch would be terrible. And that there's no killer app and blah, blah, blah. Right. And who wants to put this thing on for hours? You just don't. I don't. Yeah. You know, I don't want to put it on for more than 10 minutes or so. It, I thought it was going to break my nose. So, no, I'm not into that. I don't care about console versus PC versus mobile. Um, I love making mobile games. I love making PC games. I love making Xbox games. I don't care. Uh, the medium, so to speak. You like AR, stuff. though. I think it's cool. I want to make one. I, I want to make one, yeah. uh, but that's not where the industry is going. That's just like, mm, you know, that would be cool. Have I'd you played with HoloLens? 
No, and I want to. I it's know pretty, people that worked on it. Yeah, it's it pretty neat. I mean, yeah. it's, the the version I tried, the the viewing area was literally like a mail yeah. slot. But yeah. but in that mail slot, it was yeah. awesome. Yeah, it, yeah. So one day maybe um, there was actually uh, some AR in a game we made called Golem Arcana that was really neat because it was a game board thing with playing pieces connected to mobile. It was really yeah. neat, and you could hold up your phone and actually see the the 3D models and stuff. Uh, that was cool. So I'm interested in that. But as an industry, we're going through something fascinating right now. It's fascinating and torturous because the egalitarian uh, nature of it now, how anybody can get really, really powerful tools for free or cheap, and anybody who wants to make a game can do it. Sure. And they can put it on these app stores or on Steam. So anybody can make a game which I think is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I think that's intensely cool. And I used to teach game development uh, at a school in Seattle. And, you know, I'm a big fan of that. Anybody can create. And there's a flip side to that. Anybody can create. And so the app stores, and uh, it's just filled yeah, to the brim. Yeah, it's filtered, uh, you know, the filtering it is difficult. Oh, there's no end caps, really. I mean, there is. It's like what's right in front of you. You know, and then how much, you know, can I get a decent game recommendation or something? So trying to break out of the noise of that, I think, what, what was the stat I heard? 40% of the games on Steam came out last year. 40% yeah, I believe that. came out last year. That's insane. And so the pressure on people like us who are trying, you know, who are aspirational, you know, yeah, Avatex, the biggest... Bubble to the top of that. Yeah, and there are absolutely fantastic killer games out there really well-reviewed games that are that have ass sales because you're just being flooded by these things and then everybody's waiting for the sale right and so these super talented you know career game developers they're just going nowhere or even not career game developers, but really pro doing pro work yeah. it doesn't matter so it's such a double-edged sword for me you know and I, I'm sad about it as a developer, and I'm happy about it because I want people to create. I love that idea. The BattleTech, uh, having the BattleTech IP in your pocket probably helps. Helps of you get noticed. Of course it helps. <laughs> Absolutely it helps. That's why one of the reasons we're making, besides loving BattleTech and loving Shadowrun, you know, I saw uh, Kickstarter as a megaphone. Here's how a little, like, 8, 12-person little indie studio can make a lot of noise real fast by doing this Kickstarter thing. And that's, that's one of the reasons why we did Kickstarter, was that and to get the money, because we didn't have any. So give me the, close, close us out, Mitch, with, right. give me the, for, for people that maybe haven't kept up on Battletech and yep. what it is, and the new, give, give, oh, me the, the new give me the, yeah, give me the Cliff's Notes version, oh. get everybody interested. All right, my PR people would be very happy yes. about this. So, you're not uh, here for your health, after all. You're here to promote a game. No, I'm not here for my health. Now. I <laughs> Clearly, I've that. driven you uh, to. Yeah, no, you're fine. <laughs> and I, you know, I haven't had a drink all day. The, uh, what time is it, though? The, uh, so BattleTech. It's five it, o'clock somewhere. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, BattleTech is a modern uh, turn-based tactical combat game, and so it's all about you have this lance, what we call a lance of four mechs, like a squad, and you take them out on missions as a mercenary. Yeah. And you travel all over what we call the periphery. It's this giant star chart. 31st century, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes place in 3025. Yeah. Uh, good point. You know, uh, uh, humans actually uh, learn not faster than light, tra light travel, but jump travel. They could actually just jump 
far, you know, uh, light years away, and uh, eventually colonized, et cetera. And then this thing called the Star League formed, which is kind of like Camelot. Hmm. And then, you know, well, Camelot fell, and so did this. And so it's a universe in decline with all of these warring uh, successor states vying for the throne and uh, using giant robots to try and take it. So in our game, you're traveling around uh, taking mercenary jobs from some of these you know, noble houses and the other petty dictators and things like that, taking jobs. And then uh, there's also, a, so that's an open-ended campaign that you can just keep playing. Nice. You know? And then on top of that, you interact with the story of one woman trying to retake her throne that's been usurped by her uncle. And uh, you choose whether to help her or not. You don't have to interact with the story. You can keep doing this. And ultimately, her, she'll fail. And the civil war that she's trying to mount will fail. But if you help her, well, first of all, it's very lucrative. She pays very, very well. <laughs> um, and if you help her, you can help her retake her throne. So there's this whole story. And, you know, it's the same writing team that wrote the Shadowrun game. So we take story and character very seriously. You know, it's not an RPG or anything. There's no branching plots. There's not even multiple endings or anything like that. But we try and tell a good story and one that's really true to the Battletech setting that gets the themes of Battletech out yeah. there and stuff like that. Good stuff. Yeah. Skirmish mode, multiplayer, coming next year. It's just uh, 2018, not being any more specific than that for now. I don't now. feel like it. I'm so tired of it. <laughs> you don't want to be pinned down. It's fine. Well, yeah, I don't like even to pin myself down. I, you know, I would like to take forever to make a game. That sounds great, <laughs> you know, but you got to put it out. You don't learn until you put out a game anyway. All right, well, we'll be keeping an eye out for Battletech. Please. Uh, Mitch Gittleman, uh, the, one of the co-founders and the boss man, uh, co-boss man, <laughs> co-boss, Come on. Uh, over at Hairbrain Schemes right. working on Battletech. Yeah. Uh, for much more on the best, brightest, and sharpest, most interesting minds in the games industry, stay tuned to IGN Unfiltered each and every month. Attention, fans of fairy tales that are magical, hilarious, and grim. The award-winning Pinna original podcast, Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest, has new episodes out now. While you've probably heard of the Brothers Grimm, you've never heard these tales told in quite this way. I'm Adam Gidwitz, best-selling and Newbery Honor author of Books for Children, and in Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest, I share the real weird, grim fairy tales with real, weird, hilarious kids. In each episode, you not only get to hear a story, but you also get to enjoy this group guessing what'll happen next, cracking jokes, and sharing their own perspectives on the tales. Also, heckling me. They love to heckle me. The episodes are rated on a scale from grim to grimmer to grimmest, so there's always a great variety of tales to explore with your family. You can listen to Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest now wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow the show so you don't miss new episodes. 